Michael McMullen. Welcome along to the World Snooker Tour podcast. And this week it's great to be joined by my fellow County Antrim man, better known as the 2021 Welsh Open champion, Jordan Brown. Thanks for joining us, Jordan. Welcome no problem. Along. No problem at all. Tell us a bit about the Northern Ireland amateur snooker scene that you emerged on in the early years of the 2000s. Um, yeah, I was quite fortunate, actually, um, that the the depth in competition uh, had obviously the likes of Mark and there's a good few um, players from the club that, uh, well, still play now, but it was good, good junior scene and, and amateur in general. Um, the strength and depth in it was really, really good and I think that's what spurred me on and whenever I was... I only started entering the competitions at about 13, 14 years of age. Started mm-hmm. entering a couple of junior competitions, a um, couple of senior competitions. And I, like most people, I'm sure, uh, got a few hidings, you know, mm-hmm. whenever I started off, even at the amateur level. But you quickly learn. And uh, by the time I was 15, I was starting to win matches and then eventually working my way towards winning junior tournaments. And then that bought my game on as well because I started making century breaks regularly and, and that. So, yeah, it was a good it was a good learning curve at that time. You won't remember the world title successes of Dennis Taylor and Alex Higgins because you weren't born at the time. No. But you must have been very aware growing up of all that legacy and history there was for the game in the North. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, uh, those two names, uh, they were just... Uh, they were just such a great influence in Northern Ireland in general, and I think that's just what uh, spurred a lot of uh, players, you know, in that fighting spirit, you know, that's just carried through. Um, and the likes of, you know, Mark doing so well nowadays, I think it just there's just a great Northern Ireland spirit there, yeah. You were born in 1987, Jordan, so that means that by the time you were becoming aware of the world around you, coming of age, as it were, Northern Ireland was becoming a very different place, a much better place to what it had been for people a bit older than you. Yeah, it was obviously quite t- tough at the time, you know, because we were living through the troubles at that time. Um, it was it was very very difficult, but um, I think um, a snooker club going into the snooker club, especially for a junior, you know, I know I know for my me personally, my dad got, wanted to get me into the snooker clubs just to keep me away from you know all all the troubles back then. Joe Swell always says that at that time, all the politics and the sectarianism and all the mm. rest of it, it stayed out of snooker, that nobody cared about it, and the game was actually a refuge from all of that. Yeah, 100%. It was, uh, it was just, like I say, just taken away from you know all the, uh, the all the distractions that came outside, you know, because we all know that it's, it's not too bad nowadays, you know, thank God, but I don't think it affected the snooker at all. You were just mm-hmm. in your own wee bubble. Mm-hmm. And I think that's definitely, definitely what helped me because whenever I started playing snooker, I think the, the troubles were sort of dying down a wee bit. Um, but like I say, there was just there was no problems with that at all. Now, you were quite young when you made it into the professional game. It was 2009 when yes. you first played on the pro circuit. How well equipped did you feel you were going into that to cope with the increased standards in the professional game? Uh, I'm not gonna not gonna lie. I thought I was ready. Uh, I quickly learned, even after a couple of matches, that I thought you know maybe this is a lot more tougher than I expected it to be. Uh, this was just before the Barry Earn era uh, started coming in. There was only six tournaments, and you were basically a part-time player. Um, it was probably a blessing in disguise, actually, that I didn't really do that well. I think only won won three games. Uh, so I think you needed to win at least 10 to even have a sniff of staying on the tour. It wasn't a great system back then. Um, so, yeah, in hindsight, I probably wasn't ready. And I think 
getting back on 2018 i think i matured a lot more and i learned a lot more from the amateur side and i think that's me in good stead going into the professional game and as you say there weren't many tournaments in those days and also it was a very different deal because now if you come on the circuit you have two years to settle in and make your impact back then you only had one year with as you say very few tournaments to try to settle in and get the points you needed to stay on it was a very very difficult ask yeah, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of pressure, even just going, uh, getting onto the tour uh, back then, because you knew what you needed to do, and you were under pressure from the word go. I mean, even though it was a tier system, the standard was so good. You know, in likes of the '96, and then you're moving into the the forty at the '64 guys. You know, the standard gradually get got better as the tournament went on. Um, but I think it's a, I think it's a lot better now. You've got like two years at it, and there's not so much pressure. Uh, and there's no not too much time to dwell on a loss. You know, if you get beat, then you've got maybe an hour week at the most two weeks nowadays. You know, to your next event. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely a lot better system now. And when you dropped off, then obviously it was back to the Northern Ireland amateur scene. We yeah. see a lot of players who sort of fall into this bracket where they are perhaps too good for the amateur players they're playing against and maybe not quite good enough to make an impact on the pro circuit. Now, did you feel you were falling into that or did you always have the belief that you could make it in the professional ranks? It was, it's an interesting question. I always had belief in myself that I would be professional one day, whether or not I would be able to be in any way successful. You know, I'm not quite sure. There's a lot of uh, my friends who are telling me, oh, you're far too good for the amateur scene and all. But at the end of the day, you know, it's a single-minded sport. You know, it's all down to you. At the end of the day, it's all up, it's up to you what you want uh, to do in the game. Um, but like I say, I've always had the belief, and um, I think I like to think now I've I've carried that through and by winning the ranking title, it was so unexpected. But um, I think having those few years like out of the professional scene, I think that made me realise you know the years are creeping by here very quickly. I think it's about time you know put a little bit more practice in because I, I, I've got to be honest I wasn't I was just messing about too much off off the table um but that was my own fault and but I quickly done something about it and I think that's why I'm um reading the rewards now you had to make a living of course during those years and you were working in a petrol station so what were your yeah. days like at that time and how did it all fit in as well with still keeping up the snooker it was quite tiring. Uh, it was mainly tiring, but and it was difficult. But you know, like everyone, you know, I was just a normal worker. I was doing like a nine to five job, uh, five sometimes six days a week. You know, getting up early and some cold mornings it wasn't wasn't great. You know, but I wouldn't I wouldn't change that um, for the world because they were very very good. You know, at understanding what I'd done off the table. I was just played snooker. That's what I loved doing. They were always giving me time off to play in tournaments. And I was actually just thinking there the other day, you know, looking back whenever I drive past the, the shop that I used to work in, you know, think, well, that was, they were very, very good to me, you know. And if they have not, not a lot of employers would have given you the time off, you know, unpaid leave and stuff, you know, because they needed a lot of it because there were so many tournaments playing, uh, even in the amateur scene. So I count myself lucky that I had understanding bosses behind me and, if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't be where I am now. You think back to the early days of professional snooker, and even the very best players had done normal jobs before they became yeah. stars on television and earning big money out of it, and they appreciated it all the more 
for that. So I guess it's the same for you now. Most guys who turn pro, they've never done a normal job before that. But you've experienced the other side of life, and presumably that makes you appreciate what you have now so much. I think that's uh, why people appreciate me, like one in the Welsh Open. You know my story, you know behind it all, because it was it wasn't always easy. Like any spare hour I had, I was always on the practice table. Maybe a couple of years. When, like I say, when I was messing about, maybe that wasn't the case. But, you know, in general, any spare hour I had, I was just down practicing. And, um, like, on a typical day, I was coming home 5 o'clock, barely had time to get something to eat, have a shower, go down the club for 7 o'clock. And I would be sometimes staying there until maybe midnight. And I would have to get up really early the next morning and barely any sleep. But... I wouldn't I wouldn't change it, you know, it's just all part of the learning process and, you know, it toughens you up mentally, um, especially in the sport that we're in because it's so mentally draining. Neil Robertson talks about standing in the dole queue back in Australia mm. and thinking to himself, I don't want this life, I want to give snooker another go. So was there a similar moment for you somewhere along the way where you were thinking, I just don't want to be working in a petrol station for the rest of my life, I'm going to give this one big push? Yeah, that moment came about five years ago. I just got to a point where I was just, um, I don't want to go too much into it, but I was just messing about too much off the table. I was I was drinking a lot. I was, I was doing a little bit of gambling as well. Um, wasn't um, wasn't very pleasant, uh, I've got to say, and I sort of got to a point where I've hit rock bottom and I just thought to myself, well, that, that made me, uh, that spurred me on just to give me the drive to succeed, really, because I've hit rock bottom. I know what it's like. I'm working in a dead end job, really. Um, and it was just something I didn't want to do anymore. Uh, so that really just made me say, right, well, any spare hour I had just on the practice table and uh, five years on, it's, it's, it's paying off. And it's a, it's a good life as a pair, you know, but there's a downside to that as well. It can be very lonely at times, you know, whenever. Mm-hmm. You're like sitting in your seat, and there's nothing you can do when the other players, you know, potting all the balls. Um, it can be very lonely, and especially in times like this, you know, you're traveling mm-hmm. on your own as well, and it can get on top of you. Um, but you know, that's it's just the ups and downs of of any other sport, I suppose. And when you say rock bottom, I mean, did you feel you were unhappy with life as a result of it, or was it just on the snooker side that you felt you weren't delivering? It was a bit of both. Um, I felt like my snooker. I, I knew I had talent there uh, I just wasn't doing anything with it and and another thing which is pretty bad as well I wasn't prepared to do anything about it um, but I just gave myself a, a bit of time to think and I took a bit of time out from the game and I just thought right I'm literally just going to give this one last push and then whenever I started doing that I quickly started discovering that my form was changing like I started uh, I remember the first um, couple of senior ranking events uh, back home I won them both and gradually I started getting a bit of confidence back and I just thought to myself right I do have something here and that gave me extra belief to carry that on I started dominating the Northern Ireland scene again I started winning tournaments regularly and then all of a sudden I won the two Northern Ireland titles 2017-2018 and then by that stage I qualified through Q school and made it professional um but it's just all pure down to dedication and hard work and just forgetting about the the life that I had previously. So. And that's the thing, just listening to you there, you hear people talking about coaches and mind gurus and all the rest of it. It sounds as if you managed to turn things around just simply by practicing more and dedicating yourself more. Oh, definitely. I think I would tell that any uh, person who's willing to succeed, um, 
you have the talent is a help, but you have to back it up with hard work. Uh, full stop. Uh, you have to be putting in the hours, and it's important. It's it's the way that you put your hours in. It's important that you take something away from your practice session every day. It's important that you learn something uh, on a good way in order to improve. And I think that's what I was doing because, especially practicing with the likes of Mark Allen. I mean, he's a great friend of mine, and I've practiced him all these years. I do feel like every single day, whenever I practice him, whenever I'm watching him, I learn something and I pick up on wee things. And I'll sometimes ask some questions, you know, don't be scared to ask, you know, and uh, get maybe a local coach or somebody. I've got a great coach in uh, Marty Bramwell, um back home. Uh, he's been helping me no end just to improve the mental side because, you know, like most people, they know I can play the game. Mm -hmm. But I just think a lot of it is down to the mind and how you think. And I think that's what I'm quite good at. And you got back onto the circuit pretty quickly then, came through Q School 2018. Mm -hmm. How did you find the experience of being back on after eight years? Because the circuit then was a very different place to the one you'd been on before. It was definitely a good time to get back on because, like I said earlier, the first time I got, got on, it, was, it wasn't really a tour, to be honest. Um, and no disrespect to the people who were running it at the time, but it just wasn't really well run. Um, but I knew that my game was in good shape to, to get on anyway and I knew that I could do damage and I had the opportunity, especially nowadays, given a two-year card, you've got plenty of time to find your feet again. Um, I think it's just a great great time to be a soccer player and obviously the money and the commercial side um, has got better as well and life on tour is, is very good if you are doing well. It can be very... Um, deflating. Uh, we've all been there. You know, whenever you get a few bad results, it's not not a nice place to be in. But you know that's you know that's just the way it is nowadays. You know you just gotta um, just carry on believing in yourself and just you know. And I think I'm, I have a very good mindset uh, on the tour. And the breakthrough moment isn't hard to identify, Jordan. You qualified for the Crucible. Perhaps define mm -hmm. expectations a bit at the end of your second season back on. You played Mark Selby. It says in the record books you lost 10-6. Now, anyone who saw that match knows it was a lot closer than 10-6 would indicate. You could say that. Um, from my own point of view, I just think it was, I, was very, I was very disappointed the way I played. I thought Mark Selby was there for the taking in that match, uh, especially the first session. I came away 5-4 down, but I felt like I really should have been 6-3 in front. I had loads of chances, but... I think that's maybe down to the Crucible itself, you know, because I've been watching the Crucible since I was a young boy and always wanted to be there. And I was a little bit overwhelmed, even though there wasn't a crowd. Um, it was a dream come true being there. It was a little bit disappointing that there was no crowd um, to sort of create that bit of atmosphere. Uh, so I was just a little bit disappointed in my performance. I think I, I did miss a trick there. But um, whenever I lost that match, it just toughened me up again, you know, because I, I feel like, you know, I've went from strength to strength since then and I've backed it up with a really, really good season. It's not like, you know, you see players qualify for the Crucible and they don't really do much again in their careers, but I think I've backed that up, you know, and just hardened me up even more because I just thought I want to get here again. I want to be a regular coming here in years to come. And so we come to last season when, of course, you won the Welsh Open, as we'll discuss in a moment. But... Some people talk about that as if it came completely out of the blue. Now, it didn't, because, as we say, you'd qualified for the Crucible. And only a few weeks before the Welsh, you'd had your best ever run in a ranking event. 
Yes, uh, the German quarterfinal. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, I actually caught coronavirus in the new year, and I was out for seventeen days. I don't think I've taken that long off before. Uh, so I was actually wondering what state my game would be whenever I came back uh, to practice, and it turned out it actually was better than what I thought because uh, I knew my game was starting to come to the fore. I was really putting the like I always putting the hours in, but. I felt a change in my form. I felt like I was getting better and I was getting more consistent because beforehand I was getting like one good day in practice and then having a couple of bad days and I'd be coming away in pretty bad mood. Um, but gradually I was starting to consistently play well and it showed in that uh, that week in the German Masters. I felt it was coming. I felt like uh, I really turned a corner and I was just, um, you know, just, just down, just down to belief more than anything else because I just knew that a, a good run was coming um, so the quarterfinal was not really a surprise I've mm-hmm. got to be honest um, but I know what you're going to talk about next mm. it, it was so unexpected I never expected what was to come well I was going to say I'm sure you didn't go there thinking right I'm going to win the Welsh Open this week but there Absolutely must have no come a point during it you beat Mark Selby obviously in the quarterfinals I mean was it then or was it perhaps after the semi-final or maybe even earlier than that, that you started to think, hang on a minute, this is something that could actually happen here. I could actually win this tournament. It was even, it was even before that. I had, a, I had a pretty tricky draw. I had Liu Hong Hao. I'm amazed that he hadn't called Fedri Kuskal this year. Mm. He's such a great player. and I beat him 4-0. Um, but I played well. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, in previous matches where I was maybe sung over line. I was actually playing well in the in a lot of matches consistently. Uh but things are starting to happen. I remember Sam Craigie missed the red in the middle. If he pots it, he wins 4-3. Erzenbacher was 3-1 up against me. He missed the back of a spot in 25. If he, or, Well, he, he missed the back, but he like, hit it that hard that it actually popped out of the pocket. So things were starting to happen. And then against Marcelli, I mean, it was just an absolute crazy game. I mean, he doesn't make snooker hard. He makes life hard for you <laughs> because he just... He puts you in the most awkward spots on the soccer table, and it's places that you just do not want to be in. Um, but I, I admire the way he plays, and I respect his game, and he just just makes it so hard for you. But I was very, very proud of myself the way I handled it, especially in the deciding frame. The way there were so many twists and turns. Um, he needed a snooker. He he just kept getting them. I kept getting out of them, but eventually he got the snooker they needed, and I thought this is it now. There's no going back, and. Thankfully, he missed that black. Um, so just we things were starting to happen. And I think whenever I played Maguire in the semi-final, I beat him 6-1. But there was a reason why was, there was that result in a way because I relaxed knowing that I already set a goal before. You know, if I can get the semi-final, then I've achieved something. You know, No matter what happens this week, I'll still be happy. Um, so I sort of let the arm go a wee bit against Maguire and I just played full of snugger. I think... The match against Maguire was the best I've ever played. Wow. And honestly, yeah. Which is a great position to be in then, going into the biggest match of your life the next day. And I was surprised by the assessment of a lot of people going into that final, that they were writing you off completely. They were saying, oh, Sullivan's definitely going to win this. David Goliath contest? Yeah, and in a sense it was. But at the same time, 
nowadays you can't get to a final and beat the players you had beaten along the way without being in really, really good form. So anyone who's got to a final has got to have a chance. I was fully aware of the form that Ronnie was carrying in that final. He only dropped two frames. He was just playing amazing snooker and just played like he was just practicing in the club. Um, I was like a kid on Christmas morning uh, waking up uh, because I thought this is like a nice opposite dream come true. A lot of players would just look at it and say, right, well, no matter what happens here, I'm, I'm happy, which I still would have been. But I just woke up and I just believed I could win. I was probably the only person, as well as probably my family and, and my coach, that probably thought I could win. You know, But I just had that good feeling about that day. I just thought, I've, I've come this far. There's no reason why I can't you know, have that one big push and go one step further. Um, turned out to be a great final and I, and I played... Um, probably some of the best snooker in my career you know it just it was just so unexpected but in a way I sort of expected expected it within myself because my form was really good going in that final very often when you see a player win their first title Jordan particularly if it's in a deciding frame finish it's really horrible to watch and they just sort of fall over the line now with you it couldn't have been more different because when you got your chance you took it like you'd been doing this for years yeah, I've um, I've got that bit of a steely character about me, a uh, bit of a bit of a placid uh, approach. Um, I think even that week I won four deciding frames going into the final, and I always thought if I get a chance, you know, you just ask yourself the question: Can can I can I do this? And if the answer is yes, then there's no reason that you should have any doubts in your mind. You know, obviously things can happen, but you know if. If the chance comes along and you know the balls present itself, you know you just think to yourself, just there's no way I'm going to miss here. And I think that's just the attitude that I had in that same frame. And once I had the chance, I just braced myself and just gave every single shot 100 percent, and not thought of the occasion playing Ronnie, uh, what it would mean, and like that. There, I just don't think you can allow that to enter your head. I just. I just concentrated on the balls and I knew once I got over a winning line, then I could sort of start to celebrate. And it was just a relief whenever I made that 74 break and got over a line. No one gave him much of a chance against Mark Selby or Steve Maguire, and particularly today against Ronnie O'Sullivan. It's fairy tale stuff for the Antrim Ferrari. The Northern Irishman has toppled the greatest of all time in his maiden ranking final. Well done. He is the Welsh well Open champion. When it was all over, you mentioned the word celebrate there, but of course it was very different to what you would normally have in that situation. There'd be loads of people around. So what was that night like? It was, it was horrible in a way because the first thing you want to do is see your family. Um, obviously with the COVID times, it was one of the... One of the worst weeks at that time, um, with the lockdown restrictions and that, nobody could even come over. Not even one guest, um, not even to share with somebody was a little bit of a dumpner. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't talk about for the world because I won a ranking title. I actually didn't know how to celebrate because there was no crowd or anything to lift the trophy up to. All you were doing was lifting the trophy up to the crew, the camera crew, and and all the world snooker staff backstage. It was a bit. It was a bit weird, but. Um, you know, I made up for it back back home whenever the lockdown eased and we were able to have a wee party. And all of a sudden, you found yourself playing in the Players' Championship and you're drawn against John Higgins in the first round and he wins 6-0 and one or two people said, oh, maybe it came a bit too quickly for him. But John played all right, didn't he? 
Yes, um, <laughs> it was it was it was mad because it was either going to go one of two ways. I was either going to carry the form through that I showed in the Welsh, or it was going to go the way it happened. It was just a complete hangover from three days previous. In an ideal world, I would have wouldn't have minded going straight home and having a couple of weeks off. But with the nature of the tour nowadays, uh, it just doesn't. That that's just not allowed to happen. Um, but listen. Uh, John just showed that week not only against me, but he, I remember he played Selby the next match, and Selby scored seven points, and that's just ridiculous. Um, I think it's the best snooker I've ever seen, not just not just from him, but from anyone in any single tournament, because there was just no one beating him the way he was playing. Whenever he's in that mode, he's it's the best form you'll probably ever see in your life. So yeah, it wasn't it didn't make me look too bad. Uh, gotta be honest. So we've come to the quick fire round now, Jordan. I'm going to give Go you a few topics, and you just say whatever comes into your head. Okay. Mark Allen. Machine. That'll do. Greatest player ever. Ronnie. Robbie McGuigan. Talent. Serious talent. Defending your title at the Welsh Open later in the season. Can't wait. And one thing you would change about the game. Oh, tough one. I uh, don't think there's much I would, I would change not off the top of my head anyway okay that's a good state of mind to have what is it about Northern Ireland people Jordan that makes them punch above their weight so much in sport the success in golf is amazing with legends like George Best in the past as well and mm. you think of the football team in more recent times have done well so I think historically Northern Ireland has had much more success than you'd expect from such a small place do you think there's any reason for that I know it's a sports mad place yeah yeah it's um You've just said it there. They just, they just love their sport, no matter what it is. Golf, football, especially the football. I mean, you see what seen what Northern Ireland done five years ago at the Euros. Uh, it was just phenomenal. Just think, because it's such a small population and it's only like 1.8 million, um, we just have, I don't know, there's just something there's just something there. That just, it's not supposed to happen, you know, what, especially what Northern Ireland done getting the quarterfinals of the Euros. It's just not supposed to happen, but they've done it. Um just proving everybody wrong and it's just it's just again i think it's just belief in their ability look, look at roy McElroy. i mean it's phenomenal what he's doing just no you just don't expect it to come from some somebody who lives in such a small country you know and just uh i think with northern Ireland's definitely put on the map with how well everybody's doing and likes of um uh, like to think likes of me and myself and mark are doing now. Well, you certainly punched above your weight at the Welsh Open, and afterwards you were being compared to all sorts of things. Leicester City winning the Premier League, yeah. Ben Curtis winning the Open back in 2003. Whatever happens from here on in, that's pretty cool, isn't it? That you will be there forever in the list of the all-time great sporting upsets. Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's, very, it's very humbling. Uh, like, it was just so, so unexpected. Never even expected myself. Did expect to win a title at some point in my career, but like I said, the other no way I'd have imagined it was going to be this season. But um, it's just it's it's incredible just to think that it was seven hundred fifty to one. You could have multiplied that by ten. The odds I would have got because it's just I just came from nowhere really. But to be in that in that conversation and uh, for my own personal perspective you know i can at least go into any match in any pressure situation and just thinking about my mind you know i know how to do this and i think that'll be a good thing uh, for me uh, 
for the rest of my career, yeah. You're someone who always strikes me as being in what I call the Stuart Bingham mould. And I'd also put in there players like Mark Davis, Fergal O'Brien, guys who just love the game, can't get enough of it, and are really appreciative of the life that it's given you. And I think that's an attitude that has served those guys well. And everything about you and what you say underlines that you fall into that category too. 100%. I, I just love the game. Uh, ever since I was about seven, eight years old, I remember my dad introduced it to me on the TV. And I just have this fascination fascination with, with the game itself. And I'm a great admirer of the the obviously my fellow pros and how well they've done but you know the history of the game as well i mean i'm a avid follower of like a lot of my mates wind me up back home saying i'm an encyclopedia and i probably would be i'd be able to tell you a lot of results and and who won what um i just love the game full stop and i think that's just why i think i'm doing so well as well because i enjoy the game i enjoy practicing i have a a reason to get up in the morning now and i'm very appreciative of the life that snooker has given me and thankfully i'm I'm earning a a decent living um but you know uh it has it has its twists and turns but i wouldn't change it for a world i wouldn't have any other job and finally jordan what's this season all about now is there a dream of maybe trying to win another tournament or would it be more about trying to get a bit more consistency and having a few good tournaments along the way i think it's going to be a pivotal season for me the um i think it's important for me to carry on from where i picked off picked up in the, in the welsh obviously had a disappointing end of last season uh, losing in the gibraltar and the world championships but um I think I was still in cloud nine mode uh, after the was, but I think I've put that behind me now. I've had a good break over the summer, spent a lot of time with family and friends and uh, been pretty busy moving house, got a car and all that. Um, it's it's nice, but it's uh, it's back to work now and I'm determined to to carry on from where I left off last season, like win the Welsh. Uh, hopefully just get a bit of consist- more consistency in the game and get the quarterfinals hopefully semi-final uh realistic goals you know the winning our title it's obviously it's just so difficult to win tournaments nowadays the likes of trump and selby they just make it look so easy you know but it's not you know it's no nobody has a divine right to win titles you've got to work hard for it but i'm prepared for it and i'm really relishing the season ahead well thanks very much for joining us on the world snooker tour podcast jordan and we wish you all the best for the season ahead thanks very much cheers next week i'll be talking to matt selt about winning his first ranking title, being the opponent for Stephen Hendry's comeback match, and his claims to a place in snooker history. I'm the only player ever that's made five centuries in six frames in a professional tournament. I don't care who it is against. I don't care where it was. That has never happened before in snooker. I've made a one four eight in practice. You know, a few people have done that. Great. I was so happy to do that. But five centuries in six frames in one match, so that is something I am very proud of. That will never be taken away from me. Someone might beat it. It nearly got beat the next match. You're talking about the stuff that I'm going to be able to take away from snooker when I'm finished. That is one of the things I'm going to be able to take away. So that's coming up next week on the World Snooker Tour podcast. Until then, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.